I used to joke about this. I would always say, we're a web agency selling shoes. <laughs> Meaning the team inside the company was structured more similarly to a web agency than a shoe company. Hey, my name is Felix Tian. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. This week, we're doing something a little different. I'm really excited for you to hear it. We'll bring you stories from abroad. We visit the offices of entrepreneurs who build successful businesses around the world. From Utrecht to Milan, you'll get to hear how they carved out a niche for themselves and the most important lessons they picked up along the way. The person who's going to bring you these stories is Shopify Schwang Esther Shan. Hi, Schwang. Welcome. Hey, Felix. So tell me more about who you visited for this episode. Um, so I visited a shoemaker called Velasca, and uh, they are in the design district within Milan. It's probably one of the areas that you feel most like style conscious in, where everyone is super fashionable. Were there any inspirations that they've drawn from their local market that they're bringing into the world that you typically don't see? Yeah, I think the most beautiful thing about Velasca is for a lot of people like, you know, yourself or me, like when we're shopping for shoes, we feel like made in Italy or handmade comes with a really high price tag. And they're really kind of breaking that barrier down, making sure that there's less layers in their distribution and they're bringing the shoes directly to the consumer. So they're basically connecting whoever needs a pair of leather shoes to the exact makers in Italy. What about on the other side where we're thinking about misconceptions that people might have about starting a business when you are based in Europe? Are there any misconceptions that you typically see that were either shattered or, or maybe even confirmed during your trip? Um, they actually launched during a recession, which probably most people and most founders, they find really intimidating. They're kind of told not to do this during economic downturn, but Enrico actually found it to be an opportunity. So Velasquez's office is in Milan's Tortona neighborhood. It actually used to be the factory district before the economic crisis of the 60s, um, which decimated most of the area's industries. And then in the 80s, those who were taking risks and being creative started to open businesses in the dormant factories. Um, and they are the ones who turned it into the fashion and design hub that it is today. Velasquez's office is in an old sugar factory surrounded by fashion giants like Fendi and Armani. So you could say that they're in a bit of a sweet spot. Here's Velasquez's co-founder, Enrico Casati. There's definitely an advantage of having these districts of you know, similar companies um, in the same sector, like geographically and physically close to each other. You network with people that understand what you're doing. If they want to help you out, they can do intros for you and, uh, and things like that. And also there's, there's an element of um, understanding market trends a little bit before um, they, they get to the early adopter stage, because here you can really find the pioneers of fashion. Um, I remember like a few years back, um, you know, the Balenciaga shoes that everyone wants right now. Yes. Um, <laughs> Way, way back, I think we were just uh, starting. Uh, I started seeing them here, just in this neighborhood. 
Um, so you'd be like, what is that person wearing?、Um, shoes of the future. <laughs> <laughs> shoes of the future. Uh, and now, like you know, one third of the women、uh, are wearing them, like all around the city. So you definitely get a glimpse of、uh, of what's coming、uh, next. You might think that the idea for Velasco shoes was inspired by the trendsetters of Tortona, but it's actually more practical than that. Enrico and co-founder Jacopo Sebastio grew the idea out of a personal need. It was in Asia. Jacopo、um, came to visit me. He's the best friend of my my brother. I was living there at the time in Singapore. I was working for a bank, and、um, I kind of had this personal need of you know buying a pair of shoes for my job. So a very simple pair of loafers,、uh, without wanting to spend a fortune. He wanted a pair of high quality Italian handmade shoes, but without the price tag. The famous Italian brands made the products in Italy. But if they wanted to reach faraway customers, they had to rely on a pretty complex distribution model. So you'd have, you know, your showroom, then you have distributors and agents,、um, and then resellers, and, and you know, the final consumer would be so far away, like two or two, three steps away from the company actually designing,、uh, and four steps away from the company actually making the product. And that meant you had to pay for a distribution network, not just the shoes. So Jacopo and Enrico saw an opportunity. Why don't we try to build a brand and build it online,、um, connecting these craftsmen、uh, that we know are really good at making the products in Italy, connecting them with people that love, you know, Italian design and Italian quality around the world. Back in 2012, direct consumer retail wasn't really a thing in Italy. And that gave Alaska a huge advantage. They could make the same shoes with the same materials in the same factories as the major brands, but they could sell it for a fraction of the price. So, for around 200 euros, you could get a really beautiful pair of handmade Italian loafers, exactly the kind of thing Enrico had been looking for. But in order to make the dream a reality, they had to go directly to the source. The epicenter for shoemaking in Italy is in the region of Marche. It's an area of oak trees and olive groves, with family shoemaking businesses that go back generations. As newcomers, Enrico and Jacopo didn't have the long-standing relationships, capital, and reputation that the bigger brands did. So, how did they get the makers on board? It was all about timing and trust. Velasco was born out of an、um, economic crisis in Italy, which is the best story because it's、um, out of this economic crisis and times of depression.、Uh, there really are like more opportunities than than there would be, you know, in times of boom, economic boom. Because it, essentially, especially with the with production companies, you don't want to go below a certain level of production because you have you know investments that you made in the past that you're you know amortizing throughout the years. You don't want to lay off people and and especially like the. Daily production levels that you that you want to have, you know, maximize the efficiency and therefore the the health of your company. So when when things go, you know, south and these craftsmen that we work with back in 2013, they had like minus 30 percent、uh, revenues in one year. Traditional bigger fashion brands relied on their reputation, and that means makers needed to wait a little bit longer before they were able to be paid. 
but Velasca decided to do things a little differently. Um, the most important thing that we did, and I'm really proud of it, is that even though we were small, we always did what we said we would do. So to them, it, it's, um, it's obviously important for them uh, if their customer buys 100,000 pairs of shoes. Um, but even when you buy what, just 100 pairs of shoes, if you say you're going to pay them you know, at 30 days after delivery, you should pay them at 30 days after delivery. And you have no idea how, how much of a difference that makes to them because they're used to people saying things and then like, you know, keep buying uh, more time by, you know, oh yeah, but I I'll do it, but next week and then next week and then they'll get maybe cashing like 30 days later than, than expected. And that really hurts. So mm, what I'm trying to say is that um, size is, is not the only thing that matters. Uh, trust also is. That trust was especially important in a place like Italy, where a lot of family business owners tend to be less comfortable with investors in debt and prefer to work within their own capital. Once Velasca built that relationship of trust, they started having an influence on the shoemakers' businesses too. At a certain point in time, like instead of just... Um, you know, ordering shoes, you know, month by month, we started saying, like, why don't we apply the same tools that we use that are definitely, like, the best practices of, uh, you know, forecasting and, and planning for the future, and we apply it to, to their business because they, they were kind of lacking a little bit of, um, you know, structure in a way. The traditional fashion industry uh, works in two main, you know, timing of the year. There's the spring-summer collection and the fall-winter collection. So before, before us, before Velasco, before this direct-to-consumer approach, all they knew was, you know, periods of intense production and then periods of just like kind of like slow operations. And that created problems for them because it, it, being labor-intensive, they have to plan their hiring, um, you know, making sure they're flexible enough to cover the high production during high production times. Uh, but, you know, without hiring too much, because otherwise they'll have trouble paying salaries in the, in the months that are not high production. Our business model is actually changing their business model as well, because they, we, as opposed to ordering massive amounts of inventory twice a year, we kind of like make two big orders, but also every two, every two weeks we, we send them an order with, you know, the restocking of the products that are going uh, the fastest, you know, they're selling the most. And this allows us to be more responsive to, to what the customers uh, need and want. And, uh, and for them, it's way, way better because they, they kind of like smooth out the production throughout the year. Now, how did you go about convincing people to actually purchase your shoes because you're in a market that is dominated with historic brands? Yes. The first three years were really just focused on marketing and sales. Um, so as soon as we found the producers and we established a, a good relationship with them, um, we didn't really... Uh, get too much into the production uh, system because we trusted them and their expertise. We focused on, you know, storytelling, uh, making sure that the the final consumer um, understood that this was not just a discount, um, you know, website. We wanted to make sure that the, the final consumer understood the quality and craftsmanship, and you know, the the, the sweat that, that that was behind the product and the stories of the people behind the product as well as understanding the, the, the new business model and the, you know, advantage of going this way as opposed to the traditional way. So how do they decide to tell those stories? 
with stunning editorial photos, videos, and custom animations that take you through the journey of your shoes, from the cobbler's bench to your feet. Scenes from everyday life, like men walking their dogs through some fall leaves, riding motorcycles in the countryside, or just taking a walk in the city. Highly editorial images that look like they belong in magazines, but they're not too slick. And that's because Velasca wanted to set themselves apart from the traditional fashion world. What they go after is exclusivity, right? So they go after pictures that are perfect. Um, and they kind of convey a world that you're not part of. Through this process of buying, you get status. and You get to feel as if you belong, right? In, uh, in our communication, we want to have, um, you know, ads and pictures and content that is as human as possible. Mm -hmm. Meaning, um, our business model, which is one-to-one, -one, direct to, to consumers, also translates into a communication which is human-to-human. -human. We want to sell you high quality at affordable prices. You know, and throughout the, the company strategy, whether it is content, product, um, whatever we do, we always have that in mind. Once they had the content and the product, they just had to figure out how to promote it using the best online tools available at the lowest possible cost. I used to joke about this. I would always say, we're a web agency selling shoes. <laughs> Meaning the team inside the company was structured more similarly to a web agency than a shoe company. We were lucky or maybe good enough to understand the trend that was shifting in digital marketing from, you know, the, the world of Google, which at the time was mainly, you know, SEO and, um, and AdWords, and the world of Facebook, which, um, which is a fundamental difference because in, on, on AdWords and, and search engine optimization, what you do is you optimize your visibility um, to kind of tap into a demand that already exists on the web, you know. With the rise of Facebook in 2012, when I started playing around with the platform, it gave us a tool to, you know, still have the analytics and the numbers-driven approach that we wanted, but also communicate to generate demand and have a, a content-based um, kind of uh, media strategy. So you'd have a ability to show your pictures to an X number of people, you know, wherever you wanted in the world, uh, in the Western world at least, for a fraction of the price that you, you, you'd have to pay, you know, TV ads or you know, print, traditional print and, and all that. Um, and also the ability to test with, with small uh, budgets. We also started like uh, direct email marketing. It was a bit more popular uh, five, five, six years ago than, than it is today. We did SEO, we did AdWords as well, but we really found our channel in, in Facebook and then later on in, in Instagram because it's, it's picture-based. It's, uh, it's emotions coming through a digital channel. Um, and that was the key to our success. I mean, I always say, Alaska wouldn't be here without Facebook. Nice. I would love to say Facebook also do it vice versa, <laughs> but I don't think that's true. <laughs> uh, maybe for a small portion of it. For a small for portion. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like... Enrico and Jacobo's strategy worked. Orders were coming in, but they already had their eyes on the next opportunity. We realized over time that we were not tapping into the full potential of the brand uh, by being online only. I would say especially because we're in Europe and, uh, and, and, and Italy, 
the e-commerce penetration of you know European countries is way less uh, than the U.S. and Italy is especially a laggard in in this in these rankings. Um, so we 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 kind of started seeing like a lot of people emailing us and, and messaging us and saying, "Look, I love your products, but I don't, I don't buy shoes online. I would love to just have a, even the your office. You know, can I stop by your office and try them on?" And, you know, touch the touch the leather and, and see the quality. And then order online. And I mean, I'm fine after this, this step. So they decided to move beyond e-commerce. They opened a brick and mortar store. What we said was, okay, fine. I mean, it's still direct to consumer. It doesn't, doesn't change. It's just a different channel, right? We want to make sure that the brand is one, you know, online, offline. There's no differences, no, um, no discounts in one place and not the other. You know, nothing like that. problem was Enrico, Jacopo, and the team didn't have any retail experience. They needed to figure out how to translate the Velasca brand from an online space to a physical location without overspending. They found a place for 3,500 euros a month, which seemed like a lot of money to them at the time. They even calculated the best and worst case scenarios on an Excel spreadsheet. With retail, you need more resources up front. There's the cost of restructuring the retail space to get the look and feel, getting a location with good positioning, and signing a five or 10 year contract. So they were right to be nervous about how things would turn out, but they ended up making the first month's rent back on opening weekend in just two days. It was really like, it was a unanimous response. And uh, we kept that uh, as a single store uh, for a year. And then we opened the first in Rome in at the end of 2016. And then the second store in Rome was a year after that. In the three years following that first store opening, they opened only two more. But in the 18 months that followed, they opened seven. It goes faster when you like tweak the model, understand what's working. And then it's just a matter of execution. It takes a lot of time, according to me, to make things well in the, in the beginning, as if you're a newbie especially, and you don't want to burn yourself. In just six years, Enrico went from working on PowerPoints at a bank to running a company with 35 employees that sold 100,000 pairs of shoes in over 35 countries. The company has seen 100% year-over-year growth in the last four years, and they've raised over 8 million euros ever since the company launched. Even though the company has grown and seen many successes, Enrico still thinks it's super important to connect to the customer. I always make sure that I, I reply at least to 10 customer emails every day, for example, just to keep a pulse on, on what the, our customers are saying, their problems, their wants. You know, future also product development. Uh, our customers are our first designers, to be honest. They suggest, you know, they send us pictures and. Um, and that's really important. And also like, time spent in the shop to make sure that you understand who's coming in, who's buying, who's not, why uh, this is happening. The way I see it, um, if people are buying what you're selling, um, you can figure out the operations behind it. But if you, unless you understand your customers, their needs, their wants, the product market fit. So unless you understand that, um, you don't have a real business. Once you do, then you need to be, you need a different skill set, actually. You need a skill set of, you know, budgeting, optimizing, you know, um, managing for growth, but also for 
you know, being able to, 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 to do it sustainably if things go south for, for some reason. Uh, but the, that's why the first two years are so exciting, actually, because you don't know what you're doing and you're trying to figure it out. There's nothing more exciting than that. I, I mean, I, I love the year. Um, I wasn't earning like not even a third of what, of what I what I was getting in, in a bank. Um, but I didn't care because I, lo- I love the rush, you know, the adrenaline rush of uh, building your own company, building your own brand and trying to understand what people want. Nice. I also wanted to talk about uh, your magazine, A Million Steps. Um, I think on its own, it does feel very much its own editorial entity. Um, and it just feels like it's a relationship builder without just always blasting about shoes or talking Absolutely. about Alaska. And you I feel love like... your, descri- your description of it. <laughs> <laughs> I can also write a, a few ad copy for you guys if you need no. <laughs> It's a relationship builder. Exactly what I meant. Yeah. Nice. This is really interesting, actually, because I think a lot of a lot of uh, you know people on Shopify, um, they they have blogs and they they understand the importance of content. So our approach to it was um, instead of building a, a, a blog that was focused on on search engine optimization, so optimizing for keywords, or a blog that would talk just about shoes, we took a different standpoint. So we wanted to build an editorial content, so an editor, a magazine that talked about beauty and aesthetics and um, the quality of products uh, without being pretentious. This is really what Velasca stands for. As you, you know, read through it, all the articles, like whether they talk about, you know, um, cars or, or motorbikes or sports or, you know, we have different sections with the, you know, different interests. We took an editorial standpoint by saying, like, we don't have to talk about just products or just shoes or, or sell, sell, sell. We actually, which, let's try to give, you know, our perspective on topics that our users, our customers or potential customers um, are interested in. You want to feel like you're, you're in two different entities, but it's, you know, different sides of the same coin. I mean, it's the same philosophy of life. It's a lifestyle, right, uh, that you are, that you're putting out there on the market. In the next phase, Enrico wants to be even more responsive to customers' needs. And he's doing that by improving the technology side of the business. We've always felt um, a digital company, but not a tech company. We're tech-enabled, but we're not a tech company. We leverage on software that other people build and then configure it. And then make sure that this software is also kind of tailored, made to, measure, made to our own you know, needs. Uh, but now that we now that we're bigger and you know we see what we need, we're also like completely building software from from scratch to optimize our operations, which is a new chapter in Velasca uh, that wants to become you know more tech driven and more towards being data company than just a you know a fashion brand um, or or just a digital company. Whenever you personalize communication to a consumer based on based on their behavior, right? you're able to say things to them that are more relevant, you know. And when that, that customer actually replies, you know, with, oh my God, I mean, I've, I've never interacted with a company that is so close to the customers and, and communicates in such a personal way. I'm like, really? That's amazing. <laughs> While they focus on perfecting the online experience, Velasca is also crossing the pond for the first time. This year, they're opening a store in New York City. We signed the lease, actually. That's very it's exciting. It's going to be uh, in Nolita, 
north of uh, Little Italy in Elizabeth Street. Very fitting. So, yeah, very cool street. I, I love the, the positioning. It's a very, very exciting time. Very, very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. One thank selfish, you for having me. <laughs> one selfish question about if you guys will ever tackle the female world of footwear. <laughs> I'm sure people have probably inquired before. We get we get that question <laughs> a lot and uh, I'm, um, I'll be thrilled to do it. Um, I, I just think like... Jacopo and myself, we, we often talk about this. And I, I, the only thing that we want to do is whenever we decide to do it, we want to do it right. Right. So um, if you like, so guys and, and, and girls, like uh, men and women, when they approach, um, you know, buying a pair of shoes or buying any product, it's not necessarily true that they go through the same buying process. And we uh, definitely, you know, we kind of found um, we found a way to make it work for guys. We need to make sure that if we get into the women's market, we we, we really tackle a need or a want that 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 the, the, the women you know are, are feeling you know. Um, so I'm not opposed to it. Uh, women are um, uh, you know simultaneously very interesting and very scary <laughs> from a fashion standpoint. <laughs> Very like men, men are simple in their choices of, of shoes. Women, um, women a little less so. Um, but yeah, we get that question a lot. So it's definitely something that you know we're discussing uh, internally, and for the future, it could be potentially like a, a, a strategy for growth. And you'll be the first one to get a pair of shoes. Uh, amazing, <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. I'm Shwang Esther Shan, and I would love to hear what you thought about this episode. So leave us a review wherever you're listening and we'll read them all. Felix is back next week with another great conversation with a Shopify merchant. So look out for that. Until next time.